Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we are talking about your three and nine Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Blake Griffin's comments on veteran leadership, the new COVID-19 protocols and how those are impacting the Pistons, Jeremy Grant's all-star candidacy, and we reflect on the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Hey, what's up, Laz? Doing good. Happy to be healthy. Happy to be uh, on the verge of celebrating um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This is always an important day for our society. It's always an important day for the NBA. I think it's particularly poignant this year in particular. Yeah. Um, so before we talk basketball, you know, I don't have anything to say that the MLK didn't say uh, infinitely better than I could. So uh, I just encourage everybody find, find a speech or a sermon from MLK this week uh, and, and read it and listen and, and let it sink in. Um, he, he was a prophetic man when he lived, he would be a prophetic man if he lived now. So um, happy to be celebrating it and proud to be celebrating MLK day this week. Yeah, I am generally just like pretty grateful that uh, the NBA seems to take the holiday a little bit more to heart than than other major sports. I'm generally grateful we we get to see the Pistons play on the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. That that's always really cool. I'd like them to win one of these games uh, occasionally, but uh, like that's really neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I just uh, you think about what. Uh, you think about the the things that he stood for and the things that uh, he the messages he like left us with, honestly. And uh, you you hope that everybody takes the holiday to um, to kind of internalize those things and, and ask how you can uh, better fulfill the the mission statements that Martin Luther King Jr. like left with us. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, from from that, I did want to talk about the Pistons. But before we got to the Pistons, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier, which is health. You know, the COVID-19 situation is kind of it's finally impacted the Pistons directly. The game against the Washington Wizards on Friday was postponed. Um, like we did, you know, the team uh, played Miami. Miami has been kind of under the uh, the COVID gun a little bit as well. They didn't know if. They'd uh, have, you know, eight or nine guys to, to even play. You know, you know, a lot of their players we saw in last night's game, they aren't playing because of the COVID protocols. Um, the rate of postponements has gone up, like, slowly but surely uh, throughout the entirety of the league. The, the Pistons have been pretty fortunate in that regard, that both that they haven't really played teams that have uh, found themselves with exposures, 
and that uh, before today, like they hadn't run into any uh, postponements. Um, but, you know, how long do you think, Ben, that the Pistons can keep just soldiering on through the season? How long does the NBA kind of keep this up? <laughs> well, there were rumors, right, about uh, sort of a pause coming to the NBA season. Right. And that obviously has not yet come to fruition. Um, you know, fortunately for the players and the fans, that hasn't happened. You know, unfortunately, this, I, I think, feels like the inevitability of this disease that the country, the world has had to fight over the past nearly 12 months now. Well, I guess, yeah, at least 12 months if you go back to where things sort of originated before we really knew what it was. Um, you know, the NBA was sort of the first league to really get it right in the bubble with the playoffs and, and the finals a season ago. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they decided that that was not a possibility, um, you know, for an entire regular season. And I get it. Um, the economics were such that, you know, the players and the owners made a decision to move forward with, um, you know, something really resembling a regular season minus fans. And so I think when you have this many people mixing with each other and traveling, uh, I think the evidence is pretty clear that this is the result you get. I'm personally really happy that we haven't seen anyone in the NBA um, suffer really severe long-term consequences from this disease. Um, that's a huge plus. Um, I, I will tell you, you know, just personally, I really, I really struggle with the economy, uh, the economics of this decision. Um, I'm not, I've not been vocal about it. Um, I don't want to be too vocal about it because I don't want to be preachy. But um, you know, I think, I think putting this many people's health at risk for money um, from the owner perspective um, was disappointing. I would have liked to have seen them develop some stronger protocols sooner um, to minimize some of this stuff, but that's all water under the bridge. Fortunately, the Pistons have been healthy, which is phenomenal for us in Michigan uh, and those around the country who are Pistons fans. But I mean, this was the inevitability. This was the, this was the, the result and the risk uh, the risk and the result that the players and the owners agreed to. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just really grateful. No one's been seriously sickened um, and had their career jeopardized that, that I think is the silver lining in all of it. No, that's, that's an excellent point. And you think about the, the protocols, right? The, the players had to agree to the protocols. And as we're seeing, as has been reported, you know, stricter protocols results in a, more uh, unhappy workforce and a the NBA labor force is extremely powerful. If they don't play, if they make a decision not to play, there aren't any games, there's no product. And so like you understand that you have to, you know, make concessions and you have to make allotments that uh, you know, satisfy the, the players on the whole. Um, but yeah, like the, and, and you could, you could see guys kind of bristle against the, the stricter, um, COVID regulations that the NBA passed down, you know, a couple weeks ago, we saw like, uh, even like George Hill came out and said, like, I'm going to go see my family. Like they can't tell me I can't go see my family. And it's like, well, like, you know, if you're in, you're on the road and your family's not with you, can we, can we at least get you to like, not go out? Can we get you to not, you know, bring anybody else uh, to the hotel? Uh, I know that was a, that was a big thing guys were worried about. Um, I do want to say something I think has been a little bit underplayed that um, I've seen uh, other places, but Matt Way on the Inside the Cylinder podcast made this point um, that I think the the number of postponements and the number of individual players who are out 
because of like tracing protocols, I think that's actually a sign that the the system is working, right? Not all of those players have COVID and not all those players, you know, develop COVID, you know, after the incubation period or whatever, but, um, you know, holding those guys out and in, in an abundance of caution and, you know, planning for those games to be scheduled and played later is a sign that like, Hey, like we are trying to do this as safely as possible. It's like, if we, if we have players who we think could have COVID, we don't want them coming into contact with, other uh, teams we want to stop you know we want to limit the the spread of a disease to like a single team to ravishing a single team at a time you know unfortunately now we're in a situation where uh, it's running through like multiple teams but if you're you're still you know preventing those teams from flying you're still preventing other teams from playing those guys and uh, worrying about that and so you know I I don't want to and we we they said before the season started right that like individual cases or you know, a team, a really bad team case, like would not stop the season. They were quite clear about like this, this is not going to stop the season and it hasn't. And so I think that uh, it, it makes sense. And we, they, they told us this would happen and uh, it is the, the best of a, uh, not a bad situation, but it is, it is the best in an, in an inflexible situation like trying to play through a global pandemic. All right, Ben, but that's like, that's COVID. Let's actually talk about what the Pistons like do on the court and a little bit of somewhat of a lighter note. They beat the Bucks by 20 or they beat the Heat. Sorry, they didn't beat the Bucks. <laughs> they did beat the Heat by 20. <laughs> they beat the Heat by 20. I didn't have like Pistons win by 20 on my like mental like bingo sheet of like available outcomes for the season. This is not something I foresaw. Um, as noted by, I think it was Trout Jefferson. Shout out Trout, longtime DBB commenter. The Pistons are three and two in 2021, so a winning record against teams not named the Milwaukee Bucks in uh, this season. So, so Ben, Pistons are still bad, right? Like we're we're sure that they're not going to, uh, you know, tank draft position and do something foolish, right? <laughs> well. No matter how hard they try, they're still going to lose. So they're still bad. Um, yeah, I mean, beating the Heat, obviously, is always a good thing. The Heat are obviously good. But we talked about those COVID pro- protocols a moment ago, right? The Heat were um, a shell of themselves. Um, missing some really key players. Um, maybe I'm overstating a little bit to say a shell of themselves. But, you know, they had some pretty conseque- consequential guys who could have tipped the outcome a little bit. Um, and maybe given, in particular, I'm thinking, you know, that guy named Jimmy Butler, he's pretty good. He may have given Jeremy Grant uh, a little bit of a run for his money. But still, um, beating the Heat is is always a good win, and we'll always take it. And, um, you know, there, there were some confusing rotations, which are, I think, just going to be the case for me all season long. But we did see some young players have some really important minutes. Isaiah Stewart, in particular, I think, had some really nice minutes against the Heat. So, yeah, that, that was a good win. Um, Jeremy Grant was obviously fantastic, um, particularly instrumental in that that little run in the second half that kind of started to um, trend the Pistons toward the big win. So absolutely a solid win. But yeah, Laz, they're still bad. This was just kind of a fluke, I think. Yeah, I think people got a little worried when they saw like when I tweeted that they're like, oh, man, like they're, they're going to do the dumb thing. But um, like, yeah, like you said, like this Miami team is not a fully uh, strengthened and whole Miami team. 
Um, and I don't think we can ignore the fact that they've gotten blown out by the Bucks like three times this year. <laughs> right. If you only count the bad teams, they're really good. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're more good teams than bad, right? Like <laughs> they're gonna play more good teams. Like I'm staring at the schedule right now, and it's not. It doesn't look good for this week. But uh, but yeah, though, this is still this is still a really poor team. And as we come along in the season, um, they can always just get worse by playing by altering the rotation they can always just decide to lose more games by deciding to play the young guys more and that will result in losses we're going to talk about the young guys in a little bit but uh yeah like this the the they told us the plan the plan was to compete um and like still have a high draft selection and i think that they know like what it takes to still get a high draft selection they're not i'm not going to freak out about a couple of uh pretty solid wins over good teams. It is kind of nice that all of their wins this year have been against quote unquote good teams in uh, Boston, Phoenix and Miami. Yeah. And really those, those other two wins were a lot more impressive than this one, in my opinion. I mean, just, just Very considering true. what Miami was dealing with. Well, this, and this is, but this is the biggest point differential, right? That's like true. They, they, had a, true. they had a big 20 point win before they had a 20 point loss. Like I think that, that speaks to the nature of uh, the competitiveness that they try to put on the court uh, every single night. Yeah, and uh, Jeremy Grant, you talked about Jeremy Grant, uh, just continues to impress. Uh, he hasn't, he has scored over twenty points in every game this season. I didn't know how I was going to say that sentence at first, but that's <laughs> that's what I meant. Um, he's made some nice, he really some really nice passes against Miami, and I think that's obviously the next step in his. Uh, evolution as a player but we are seeing that evolution kind of happen rapidly in front of our eyes um so who knows what to what uh that could hold in the future but uh for right now ben do you think jeremy grant's an all-star there was a lot of all-star talk about uh, after this game after the performance he put on in the second half do you think that's possible it's not out of the question but i i would say personally i think he's on the outside looking in right now i mean he's got one really good argument, he's in the top 15 in, in points per game. Um, you know, points per game tends to be, like, if you're going to look at a single thing, like, that's a big one, right, if you're going to try to predict an all-star performance. Um, so that that's in his favor. I think the second strongest thing is he's exciting to watch. I mean, he's got he's, – he's showing some incredible range, right? So he he's shooting the deep ball like a lot of the, the primetime scores in the NBR. Uh, he's super long, right? He gets to the bucket from the three-point line in a step and a half. Uh, and he's an exciting finisher. Um, he's had some pretty impressive dunks, really athletic, unorthodox finishes around the rim. So he scores a lot, and he's an exciting offensive player to watch. That bodes well for him. You know, obviously the big drawback is he's on what is currently still the worst team in the NBA, and that's going to hurt. And I think he's probably primarily viewed as a wing which is a pretty crowded position, right? So, I mean, he's got he's to gotta be a, a sure top 10 wing sort of player, I think, to really say that he's a favorite for the All-Star game. And I'm not sure that you would, you would necessarily see that consensus around the league. So, you know, for me, that all adds up to probably on the outside looking in, and there's probably a lot of Pistons fans um, who will say he got snubbed. And, I mean... That's possible. His numbers might be good enough in a, in a couple months to where, um, you know, if you just take his individual body of work, he should be an all-star. Um, the other things he does well that I, I don't think 
particularly bode well for an all-star appearance is his defensive versatility, right? The all-star game, even though there really isn't a game this year. Yeah, right? not, not a lot of defense. Not a lot of the defense, right? Like he had some pretty sweet blocks against Miami in particular, where he showed off just his incredible def- defensive versatility. Um, you know, that's just underappreciated in the all-star game. So that, that doesn't really help his case, unfortunately. So uh, bummer. I mean, he's probably, you know, he's obviously having the best individual season that, uh, since Blake Griffin had right when Blake um, Blake had his fantastic year in Detroit, but to me, it's just not looking like enough. Not not looking like enough just yet. Yeah, I I I know fans. I'm gonna agree with you, just like flat out. I know fans are gonna be like a little frustrated to hear that. Just like, oh, this like that's our guy. Like he's he's uh, you know top 15 in the league in scoring. You know, like. Other guys are having a down year. Like I can think, of like Pascal Siakam and like Ben Simmons in particular, as uh, you know, two All Stars last year who are kind of having down years. Um, but guys, like I gotta, the, the Pistons are bad. They're really bad, and you have to score. You have to put up ridiculous amounts of production to make the All Star game for a team that's not like currently in the playoffs. Like Trey Young last year was he made the All Star team in the East. He was voted in by the fans, if I remember correctly, um, and he averaged 29 points and nine assists a game. And like that—that's what it takes, right? Like you have to. Not only do you have to average like almost 30 points a game, you also have to almost average like 10 assists a game. Like that's the level of production we're talking about in order to uh, make the All Star game on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. You know, Bradley Beal last year he averaged almost 30 points, uh, like four four rebounds and six assists a game. And he didn't make the All-Star game. He's very angry about it on Twitter, if I remember correctly. He also got snubbed from the uh, All-NBA. He's very angry about that. But, yeah, like just the the level of production that you have to put up to make the All-Star game on a team that's not, you know, any considered widely around the league as any good is ridiculous. Um, the, the other thing I want to say is that the All-Star team – uh, for the East, at least, got one spot smaller with right. the addition of James Harden to the conference, right? James Harden's going to make the All-Star game. And so, uh, and I don't know if he kicks out a guard or a wing or however they do that positionally. But yeah, it's it's going to be it's gonna be tough for, uh, for Jeremy Grant to make the All-Star game. Um, does that mean Jeremy Grant isn't having a ridiculous season, the likes of which we haven't seen since Blake Griffin in 2018? Like, no. Uh, it just means he maybe won't get recognized nationally for it, and that's kind of okay, right? Like we're we're Pistons fans; we're we're used to the lack of re- of national recognition in the face of losses, right? Yeah, and look, every great Pistons team has been the underdog that was never nationally recognized for how good it was until they'd already won the championship. So, I mean, to some degree, I think as fans we can relish a little bit of that, and. Uh, let it be a little bit of a chip on our shoulder and be okay with it. No, absolutely. And uh, so the next thing I want to talk about, Ben, was I wanted to give a little bit of love to Derrick Rose. I know, so that's something I don't do very often, not because I don't really appreciate what Derrick Rose kind of brings to this Pistons team, uh, just because like, it's more because what he brings is so consistent um, and, and, you know, to a certain degree, it's, it's limited. Derek brings points. He brings energy off the bench. He brings a real scoring threat that teams have to account for on a night in and night out basis. Um, he distributes like fairly well, not amazingly, but like like pretty well for a guy with the, his scoring instincts and ability. Um, 
and in like that that's pretty much it he doesn't really he's, he's played a little bit harder on defense this year i see a little bit more uh, effort from him in terms of like going for blocks and steals um but like he's not he's never been like an amazing like lockdown defender and he's never been asked to be because of the the offensive role he takes on um but i got to say after after a couple of games of watching Saban Lee and uh, Frank Jackson man the uh, backup point guard minutes uh, for the Detroit Pistons, I was so happy to have Derrick Rose back against the Heat. Like it was just I you I had forgotten right like that the the Saban Lee Frank Jackson experience was like the, our our vicious flashbacks to the days of like Beno Udre and Jameer Nelson and Dwight Bikes and uh, just point guards who weren't really point guards. And so I just wanted to give a little bit of love to what to what Derrick Rose uh, brings to this Pistons team. Absence makes the heart grow fonder of Derrick Rose, Laz. That that's the moral of this week's story, I think. No, I mean, yeah, and you know, especially it helps when he makes like four threes like he doesn't normally do against the Heat. Yeah, he shot the lights out. It was uh, quite the display. Look, I mean, Pistons and third point guards. Are we ever going to get this right, Laz? Like. In in my lifetime, are we ever going to have a decent third Pistons point guard? Is that going to be a thing? I mean, like technically, Delon Wright is supposed to be the third point guard, right? It's just the <laughs> well, his his one for ten earlier this week didn't help. <laughs> it's just the 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 continuing ripple effects of the Killian Hayes injury, yep. right? Yep. And uh, you would think with two two way spots filled by point guards, you might be able to find like a half decent one, but nope. Still can't. It's and, hard. Yeah, it's not even really that close, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, big, uh, big brownie points to Saban Lee though for trying to dunk on Brook Lopez. Very True. impressive. <laughs> some Twitter respect, some clout too. Yeah, unsuccessful, but but very impressive. The as uh, somebody on Twitter put it, the world is a better place when uh, people try and dunk on the Lopez twins. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that every day. <laughs> All right, Ben, Um, the thing I wanted to talk to you uh, today from Blake Griffin was not necessarily anything having to do with Blake Griffin, but more like what Blake had to say. And so we had some, the Pistons talked to the media today. Um, Blake gave a pretty interesting quote about uh, the rotations and about the young guys on the team. Uh, It's a pretty lengthy quote, so you forgive me if I don't uh, say it exactly perfectly, guys. But uh, Blake said, you know, with young players, you can pick up bad habits really quickly if you're not a veteran or you don't have a good example. Some fans are all about tanking and playing the young guys as much as possible. Bringing guys along and not giving them too much at one time is very important. The common fan doesn't understand the ins and the outs of everything that goes on in practice, game prep, the game, the film sessions. It's very important to have those guys in our coaching staff does a great job of giving guys, you know, what they can handle. And bringing them along, and when the young guys are in minutes, they they earn minutes, they get their minutes. You're seeing that a lot with Isaiah early on and with Sadiq early on. They've done, every, they've done everything the right way. They came in, and they do what is asked of them. That's just how basketball works from top to bottom. you gotta, you got to do what you've at, you're asked and continue to raise your game. So I think it's very important to have those veterans. I'm biased being a veteran, but it's very important. Ooh, okay, quote over, end quote. Ben, what what do you think of Blake's uh, thoughts on veteran mentorship uh, in the locker room? 
Well, I'm going to tread carefully here because I've already been told by a couple of people that my contributions to this conversation are worthless. <laughs> so I'm going to tread carefully. Um, in a vacuum, like I have no objections to anything he said. Um, you know, I think back to my, again, really small time college experience, but as a freshman, like going from high school basketball to college basketball, and again, smallest level basketball that you could possibly play in college is what I played. It's an entirely different world. Everything about it is different. It's not something you do after school. It's something you do when you wake up in the morning. It's something you do when you go to the gym at lunch. It's something you do when you're doing workouts and rehab after practice, right? And so the NBA or any professional league is obviously one step over and above that, right? Um, so I have absolute 100% agreement with the notion that it's very important to have cultural locker room veteran, you know, insert meme word guy, right? Like you need those guys on your team. I 100% I agree with that. Um, you know, are the Pistons implementing that concept that I 100% agree with in a way that I would implement it this season? Eh, not exactly. Um, Isaiah Stewart, I think they're bringing him along nicely. I just like to see him get more minutes. Um, you know, Mason Plumley is a guy I think of as a veteran guy. He's arguably like the second most productive player on the team. So in that sense, he is earning minutes. But at the same time, like, does he need to have the second most minutes played on the entire team like you know that's where i i sort of when you move from like okay abstract concept to specific implementation i don't necessarily agree you know the other one that really jumps out to me this week as confusing was uh was svi like he was shot the lights out right against milwaukee and i thought played well 18 minutes 18 points on nine shots like what more do you want out of a shooting guard um next game he got like, I think one minute and 52 seconds or something, right? Like to me, that's, that's confusing because if the, if the mantra within the locker room is do what you're asked to do and you're going to get playing time and I'm Svi Mikhailik, I'm like, well, what more can I do? Right? Like what more do I need to do to get minutes over Wayne Ellington who started two games in a row? I, you know, I just did 18 points in 18 minutes and nine shots. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's just a disagreement about the specifics of it. Um, and then look, um, Blake Griffin, I think, is biased here. I think my concern about Blake Griffin right now is his defense. I think it's worth, like, if I'm in that, if I'm in that um, press conference and I'm going to ask a question, I'm biting my tongue because what I want to ask is, like, this team has had to reshape its defense and play zone because your effort and capacities on defense are so bad and you're the highest paid player in the history of the franchise. What is that telling the young guys, right? So... Those those would be my tread lightly criticisms, and with that, I'm going to shut up because, lads, I'm really curious to, uh, to hear what you have to say about this. I I'm more curious who told you that your contributions were worthless. That's very much not true. <laughs> Sorry, no, but, it's Twitter, uh, man. I don't take it personal. Oh uh, yeah, they. Oh okay, yeah. Never mind. It's just Twitter. <laughs> just. <laughs> but I I agree that uh, it's not it's not odd to see. Blake saying something like this, but I agree that his his on court uh, contributions and effort are not exactly in line with the uh, philosophies uh, espoused in that super long quote. Um, I will say that like culture is such a like tenuous thing to try and build and preserve, and so I understand 
from a uh, I understand from like a from a coaching perspective why it's important to try and uh, accommodate your highest played uh, star, like most uh, effective and loudest voice in the locker room player. Um, I understand why maybe there's not. Uh, I understand why like maybe you're not calling that guy out in the media or in the locker room, like away from prying eyes, just because um, you, you know, you look at like guys look at how coaches treat players, right? They look at what Blake has given for this team, for like this individual, like Pistons team. um, And like, maybe that, and like part of that is why, like what he has sacrificed is why he's not, able to play at the level that he's perhaps like more used to playing. And so you understand like why, like you, you value that sacrifice, even though it happened, you know, so long, like not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but like long ago in a, like, what have you done for me lately uh, type of situation? But, you know, if you, if you critique Blake, if you uh, are, are, uh, overly harsh on Blake, you demean the sacrifice. And when you are asking guys to sacrifice um, for a greater reward, you can't then go and, uh, you know, demean the sacrifices guys have already chosen to make like that. That doesn't excuse some of the rotation stuff. Um, That doesn't, uh, that doesn't excuse accommodating uh, Blake again defensively. You know, changing the entire scheme and in, into his zone so that he doesn't have to uh, cover ground if he doesn't want to. Um, but it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to ask other people to to give up something um, if what if they're not going to be uh, you know properly uh, accommodated for for what they sacrifice um, and like. Culture's culture's tough, right? Like we got a we got a post game quote from from Bam Adebayo after they lost to the Pistons, saying that uh, the Heat didn't play to the Miami Heat culture that they're built on, um, and that uh, right now that they're not like playing up to like the level of hard work that like they're they're used to in Miami. Um, and like you, you get a guy, a guy. It's very easy for me to see Blake saying things like that in another situation, right? Like if um, I can, if like the, the guys that they took in the draft weren't as hardworking or weren't as, uh, as uh, you know, intellectually curious about like what they need to do in order to, to get more playing time. And if they weren't working as hard, you know, you can see like Blake saying like, Hey, like, no, like you, you, things aren't going to just be handed to you. We're not going to, uh, just give you give you playing time and uh, give you uh, responsibilities on the NBA court. You have to earn it. Um, so like um, so I'm I don't think that like I don't think Blake is uh, Blake's like the best messenger for this, but and it is like contradictory. But like uh, the the lesson is so important that. Uh, and Blake is really the only like one of the few guys on the team who can deliver the lesson with any like verve. Like, sure, yeah, like Wayne Ellington can say that same thing, but like Wayne Ellington, you know, career journeyman, like stuck around the league uh, for twelve years, like done it, like has done a great, has done like good to like stay in the league. 
but like that's that message resonates differently coming from like you know five-time all-star you know uh former face of a team like current face of a team blake griffin uh even if he's not you know that guy right now and so yeah that's 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 what i'm thinking about when i think about like blake talking about how uh you know guys have to work hard during film sessions and stuff despite the fact he's not playing defense it's like he is really the only effective uh you know player on court in locker room communicator of that message and you need that guy in the in the locker room right yeah and i think you raised up um bam out of bios quote and i'm glad you did because i was thinking about that earlier imagine if someone from the pistons right Blake Griffin or any of, you know, Jeremy Grant, any of these other guys, they suffered a tough blowout loss. Like, do the Pistons even have a culture they could appeal to to say that they had disappointed yet? So, I mean, I don't think so. Like, what would what would that even mean, right? Like, well, we didn't play up to our standards and our, our culture. Well, you, you don't even really have one yet. So in that sense, like, yeah, I'm glad. I'm absolutely glad someone is preaching this. And it's not just someone. Like, it, it is Blake Griffin. And obviously, this is the message that, that Coach Casey has been uh, preaching. It's something that Weaver has talked about, maybe not in as specific of terms, but he certainly talked around this really clearly. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I 100% agree with it. Like, if you think about the last time the Pistons rebuilt and reshaped themselves into something relevant, it goes back to, um, you know, kind of the era right before the going to work era, right? It's right after Grant Hill gets traded, Stackhouse comes in, Ben Wallace is acquired, you know, all of these journeyman, hardworking guys, junkyard dog, John Barry, like all these guys who, you know, what they had in common was just working and playing really hard and defending their asses off. Like that's what they did. And they built an identity and they built a culture over the course of a few years that ultimately turned itself into the most tenacious defense that, the league had seen since the last time the Pistons were champions. So, um, you know, to that extent, like I, I, I'm clapping at Blake Griffin. I'm, I'm cheering him on because I think that's absolutely the kind of mindset that the franchise as a whole needs to have right now. Yeah. That, I mean, like, and that's a great point about uh, Blake being like the, the only person in the locker room who can deliver that message. Like even you think about like Troy Weaver, you know, telling us he wants that message to be, uh, or telling the the media and and through the media the fans that like that's the they trying to, the kind of culture that they're trying to build, but then you know like turning over the team you know turning over three fourths of the roster or whatever it's it's really hard to bring in a bunch of new dudes and be like okay like this is this is who we are it's like are you sure like we we've been here like three months like we're not quite sure who we are just yet yeah. and so well, that's why it's important yeah you're getting glimpses of it, right? Like you can tell Sadiq Bey is working hard. You can tell mm-hmm. um, Isaiah Stewart is, is working really hard. Like you're, you're starting to see the seeds of that emerging. It's just, it's just not there yet. There's just a, still a, a long way to go and you've got to have, you know, a couple off seasons of this really coming to fruition on a day-to-day basis before it really takes hold and takes root. No, absolutely. Uh, okay, Ben, you know, pop quiz time. What, uh, not a pop quiz. I just didn't put this in the sheet, but I forgot to. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of the uh, Troy Weaver's empty the clip comments? <laughs> it is a uh, it is a classic comment for sure, right? Like it's up there with the Stan Van Gundy formal wall quote, right? Like it was it was it was a fantastic soundbite. 
<laughs> um, I kind of poked fun at it a little bit because I felt like you could sort of take the empty clip both ways, right? Like he emptied the clip in the sense that he took his clip out and dumped out a bunch of assets on the ground in terms of a first round pick, in terms of Bruce Brown, in terms of Lerp Kennard, all that water under the bridge, right? Um, you can also take it from the perspective of like, I'm just not going to, and I think this is the way he meant it. I'm not just going to come into a situation and just let the status quo continue to, to be the way that it is, right? I'm going to I'm gonna make my mark. I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to be decisive and I'm going to act and I'm going to stand by those decisions. So it's an epic soundbite. Um, I hope, I hope that he's got another clip in there somewhere for this offseason. <laughs> the current one is empty. <laughs> we need some more rounds, my friend. <laughs> yeah. the I think like we are all glad that you know you're not leaving bullets in the chamber but like we we'd make like to make sure that like stuff gets hit as well (laughs) that that's an important part of of emptying the clip um the the trick is like right now like some of these things look like hits right like jeremy grant absolutely that's a hit uh sadiq bay and isaiah stewart look pretty good like i'm willing to call those like pretty good hits so far um but and uh but yeah like there there are a lot of other guys, you know, that who were in the chamber, uh, in the water under the bridge, that we're we're not entirely sure if those were hits or misses yet, and that kind of remains to be seen. But I I do love the the kind of the statement of purpose, right? Like no matter what, we're going to be aggressive. Um, I have a plan. Like we are going to do whatever it takes to to execute that plan. And it's like if that works, like so be it. And if it doesn't, like that's okay. It's like okay, I was. If nothing else, I respect it, right? I respect it much more than like, hey, like no, we're gonna we're gonna build a consensus and like everyone's gonna co- coalesce and uh, make the correct decision and we're gonna like come to an agreement. We're gonna form a committee and in like six months we'll like have a decision. Like no, like I know what we're doing. We're gonna do it, and if it works, you can blame it on me. Like that, that is the as a level of purpose and accountability that like I can stand behind. All right, Ben, the uh, Pistons have four games this week. They play uh, on Monday in Miami, the aforementioned Martin Luther King Jr. Day game. They play Wednesday at Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's coming back from uh, a Western road trip, so that'll be fun for them. They play home against the Rockets on Friday, the return of Christian Wood. And uh, they play against the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday. Ben, any of those games looking close? I know we just beat Miami by 20, but I still don't feel like I don't feel comfortable projecting that again, you know? Yeah, it, I haven't seen any um, news yet with respect to Miami's key players coming back. I'm not exactly sure where the health and safety protocols uh, are at. And obviously that's important. Um, but, you know, I got to think they're going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder uh, and, and want to get some revenge. So, I, you know, I don't know if I love that. Um, Rockets, I mean, they certainly seem vulnerable. Um, Sixers, I haven't watched a lot of the Sixers, Laz. I don't know. Are the Sixers, are the Sixers kind of falling apart? Are they going to be, are they, they're never a good matchup. I mean, we, we're going to struggle inside, I think, um, against them at the, at the minimum. So, all right. Miami, not close. Wednesday at Atlanta, not, eh, maybe. Rockets, I think we, we could compete with the Rockets, the Sixers. I don't like a lot, so we'll, I think we'll have two games that are close this week. Okay, now, I, I I can see that. Um, Philadelphia's in a weird space because they've also been kind of struck by uh, by some COVID protocols, um, but like 
Joel Embiid is one of the guys who hasn't been struck by Sixer uh, by the protocols, so they'll be fine, right? Like the Pistons have nobody on their roster who can currently adequately defend Joel Embiid, so they'll be fine in that situation. Um, the Rockets matchup that's really interesting to me because by the time they play on Friday, the Rockets should have Victor Oladipo, um, and, and so we should see kind of the unveiling of the like John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Christian Wood, Marcus Cousins uh, squad, and that'll be. Uh, and I don't know how good that team is going to be in terms of wins and losses, but like that sounds like a really volatile and, and fun thing to watch from an entertainment perspective. Um, yeah, we, and we've already played a close game with Atlanta. So, and you know, uh, that was one of the games without Blake. Um, that, was, that was a game Killian played pretty well in, and we got some uh, some contributions from guys like Josh Jackson and Daylon. Um but like uh, Delon, Delon, I'm oh, I'm gonna do it every single it. episode. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I think they play a couple close games this week. I like that you brought up to the Miami game. It seems like this has been a truism across the league. Uh, if you play those two back-to-back games uh, against a team in, in the same arena, it's really hard to win both of those games. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of find it interesting. I I don't know, like. It's not a thing that you see that often. Obviously, like a sport like baseball, this is this is what they do. And in basketball, you don't mm-hmm. usually see it until the playoffs. So I personally have found it sort of intriguing, and I find it to be a little bit more dramatic because, you know, if something gets chippy, that's going to show itself again two days later, right? Instead of two or three or four weeks later when you might, might see them again. So I, I find it kind of interesting and kind of enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, like, and from a coaching perspective, right, like it – affects how you coach because it's like okay we you know we normally you're not necessarily altering your game plan for a specific team uh you know because you play so many teams so quickly but like you you get the chance to make uh adjustments game over game against you know the, the same opponent you you get the chance to perhaps like try try different looks um against the same opponent and you know we you get the chance to build some animosity if like you mentioned, if, if that happens to, to be the case. Well, to that end, so right, one man. of the things that jumped yeah, out sorry, at me. Oh, yeah, sorry. So what I was going to say is, like, last comment. One of the things that jumped out at me this week was Blake Griffin getting double teamed. And then I think it was the Heat game where they started double teaming Jeremy Grant a little bit in the second half. It hmm. Like, that's the kind of coaching adjustment that I think could get interesting. Because if anyone should be double teamed on the Pistons, it's Jeremy Grant, right? And not a lot of teams have done that yet. So it'll be interesting to see how he adapts if, you know, some of these scenarios teams get the chance to adjust and alter the game plan a little bit. Yeah. Our own Brady Fredrickson gave the game away. He had the piece this morning, like, why is anyone guarding Jeremy Grant? Brady, no! We need people not to guard Jeremy Grant! It's the whole point! (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ben. uh, Let the people know where they can find you, where they can uh, uh, talk to you about how valuable your contributions are to Pistons Twitter. How well, dare you, know you guys tell Ben? <laughs> Tomorrow on Twitter is going to be calm because I will be watching my two lovely children and I'm hoping they will cooperate and watch the game with me at least for a little bit. So maybe you'll just get some selfie, some kids, kid selfies with uh, the Pistons in the background tomorrow instead of uh, my, my lukewarm takes on Blake Griffin and veterans and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, on Twitter at BR Golker. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> no, no, no. I see. I got you. I got you. Uh, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you all next week. See you. <laughs>